Morning. If I haven't met you before, my name's Tim. Welcome. Uh, we're going to dive right in this morning. Uh, if you would like to follow along in your Bible, the first, uh, first scripture we're going to look at this morning is Genesis 2, uh, 15. So Genesis is the first book in the Bible, way to the left. And that's where we will start. Uh, just to give us a reminder of where we're at kind of in this teaching series. So we've been doing a, we've been doing a teaching series called it Matter Matters. And the big idea is that this physical world, this material place, God cares about it. God cares about the different ways we interact with it, God cares about. So we, we really want to push back against the, the thought that maybe there's a religious part or a spiritual part of life that God's concerned about, and then the rest of it, God just, he's not concerned about. No, matter, this physical place matters in our interactions all of our life, uh, God uh, matters to God. And so two, a couple weeks ago, we talked about science matters to God. Last week, we talked about art matters to God. And today, we're going to be talking about work matters to God. Our work, the work of our lives matters to God. The substance of it matters to God. Uh, and when I say work, um, it, you know, uh, I, don't, I, don't nece- I don't mean just kind of what we get paid to do. Work's bigger than that. I mean, you know, those, whether it's mental work or physical work, things that basically what we're doing that's not just for fun. It's not just for pleasure. It's not just for fun. Uh, so, you know, it could, be, it could be school. It could be, um, you know, keeping uh, a home. It could, be, it could be a job that we get paid for. But there's a the variety of things that we kind of put under that umbrella work. But they got that, the substance of our work matters to God. Right? Uh, the, the most involved church volunteer over a lifetime might spend 4,000 hours doing direct church ministry. The average person in their lifetime will spend 88 to 100,000 hours in their 95 to work. 88,000 hours in a lifetime. God cares about that chunk of our lives. He cares about it. It matters to him, the substance of it. And so I want to, we want to talk about that today. And I don't, um, you know, I, I say, I mentioned uh, different Sundays, I say uh, that, hey, this is the start of the conversation. Once again, I'm not up here as the expert who knows everything about how God relates to our work. That's not, but I do, I want to, I want to bring us to a few scriptures I think have bearing on how God relates to our work. And I hopefully, like every week, we're starting a conversation. This is meant to be reflected on, journaled on, prayed on, talked with, talked about with your housemates, uh, with your small group, that we wrestle out, what does this mean for my, the work of my life? So start a conversation, but we together carry it forward. So uh, let's see, Genesis uh, 2.15, we're going to look at. So uh, just by way of reminder, in Genesis, God has created this cosmos, heavens and earth. Um, and he's created men and women to bear his image. And this work, in, in fact, earlier in verse 2, it, it, uh, it's referred to as the craftsmanship of God. God has crafted this world, and then in verse 15, he gives instructions, um, and it says, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, to work it and take care of it. So this is, this is before sin, before evil, before brokenness has come into the world, and what do we have here? Work, Right? So work is not, whatever else it is, it's not simply because things have gone wrong. That, that uh, if God is craftsman, if God is creator, 
and we image God, we reflect God's image in this world, that means part of our imaging God into this world, we do that through work, through our work of creating and sustaining and fixing and healing and building. We are designed uh, to work. So I want to kind of push this a little further. I want to ask the question, for you to think about the different ways that you work and consider how is the work you do a reflection of the kind of work God is about in this world. We've got this, uh, this next slide here. Maybe this is just uh, kind of reaching at what this might look like. So one way to think about the, the way God works in this world would be to break up God's work into four different categories. God is creator. God, God creates new things. God creates all things. And God, God creates new things. He is a creator. God is a sustainer. God is continually upholding and sustaining and maintaining the cosmos. God is a healer. God, heal, God goes to the broken places and he heals them. He, he mends them. In the Son, Jesus, he comes to rescue and heal. And God is a completer. What God begins, he bl- brings to completion. And another way, to, another way God completes things is he, he, he draws out the full meaning of things. And so I've just, I've just and this is just kind of, uh, some kind of stretching to think, but some different ways that different types of work connects with the kind of work God is about in this world. I would, so I want to give you just a moment uh, to reflect the kinds of work you're involved in, how do, they, how do they reflect, how do they participate the kind of work God is about in this world? Just think on that for a second. God is, God is a worker. We image God by working. And one way to think about that is that, um, you know, God created everything, and he, uh, and he is king over everything, and then man and woman, he gives, he gives this dominion to underneath him, right, in the beginning, that uh, Tolkien called uh, humans sub-creators. We are, some theologians call, talk about us as vice regents. We have kingdoms, little kingdoms within God's overarching reign. We have little areas of dominion under God. I was thinking, uh, I was thinking about some of my different jobs that I've had as I was uh, working on this talk, and um, one of the jobs that I thought about was when I was, oh, I think it was after my freshman year in college, I, uh, I was a pizza delivery boy for Hungry Howie's Pizza in Mason, Michigan, and my, I worked there, and my brother worked there, and a good friend worked there, we, you know, we were slinging pie, getting to making sure Ingham County was well fed. And, uh, but you know, the one, you know, I had these little dimin, you know, my, uh, I drove the family minivan while I was delivering. So I had dominion over the family van, the white Ford Windstar with a red racing stripe down the side. Sweet. So I had dominion. And then of course I had dominion over these pizza runs. I was responsible to work and care to make sure it got to the right people. And so, um, one, uh, I get this one, uh, call. It's like pizza rush hour, 6.15 on a Friday night. 
And, uh, and it's out to Dansville, Michigan, which is even smaller than my hometown. It was like a town, a village of 400 people. So it's pretty rural. I'm driving out there, and I can't find the place. I'm driving up and down this country road. The addresses, I don't know what was, they were like out of order. Finally, I'm running late. I find the driveway. And it's this dirt driveway just leading back into the woods. You know, I'm, I drive back on this dirt driveway. And the driveway, it's going. And then um, the, the house is up on a hill to the right. So the drive curves up the hill, up to the house. But then also the drive continued straight ahead level to a big uh, garage. So I drive up, you know, drive, park it up by the house, jump out, give them their pizza, get the money, jump back in the van. And then I, you know, I turn the wheel and I'm going to back out and then head out the, the dirt road. So, you know, I look out the rear view mirror, I see, I see a driveway behind me, and, I, and the ground just disappears behind the van. And I'm just looking at blue sky and that big windshield, all blue, and it's not good. 45 degree angle. And, uh, and I get out, and what has happened, the van is on this, like, retaining wall. So that driveway that went up to the right... Um, on the, this side of it was just a wall, just a retaining wall. But when you looked out your mirror, you saw the, the continued drive to this garage. So it was kind of this optical illusion. So the, I, I'm like, oh. So I go up to the house. Now, this is before cell phones and all that kind of thing. Uh, so I go up to the house and uh, knock on the door. And yeah, hey, uh, I, I drove my van off your cliff. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so they say, the, the, the guy's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's happened before. We should put a sign up or something. Yes, you should. Apparently, someone had, they must have been in a bigger rush than me. Someone had flown all the way off the cliff and smashed into their garage like a month earlier. And yes, you should put signs up. This is repeatedly happening. Um, so, okay, I use, your, so I use their phone. I call my boss. He was not impressed. Call my dad. Call the tow company. And then they're like, they're watching HBO or something. Hey, you want to join us? Have pizza? Uh, no. <laughs> I eat the pizza I deliver. I've had enough hungry house. So I'm going to go sit by my van. So, you know, I sit out there and find, the tow company came and it was pretty complicated. We had to like raise up and I had to drive forward while the tow backed up. But we eventually, we got the van extricated. I was able to deliver more pizzas that night. It was okay. So, but that, you know, this idea that I had, I had dominion over the van, I had dominion over this pizza run, and whether I exercised that well or not, I was responsible over those areas under, you know, under these other, you know, the manager of Hungry House and my, my family. And, um, but I think in some way it's a picture that that our God, God is worker. God is king over this cosmos. He's creator, but he gives He give to, to men and women. He gives these kingdoms within the kingdom, these areas of responsibility, that our work in these areas would reflect his character and his heart over the whole. Work. Work, it's, it's, it's part of imaging God in the world. It was before the fall, and it will continue into the age to come. You can look at Isaiah 65 this week, this idea that our work will continue into the age to come. Now, I think, uh, you know, we can talk about this, uh, the way that we, we reflect God's character through our work. But I think one thing we need to address is the fact that for, uh, I think, well, for most of us, our work often feels like it falls far short of that. For many of us at times, work can feel uh, frustrating, 
or uh, even like pointless, very mundane. Uh, some of us have pain around work. And I want to recognize the, that, that um, the, this, the, the brokenness in this world affects the area of work as well. If you, if you will, we're going to just jump to the next chapter here. Genesis 3, and I'm going to read beginning in verse 17. And what we're going to read here is because man and woman decided to make themselves the center of their lives instead of God, there's a spiritual break that happens between humanity and God. And, it, and we've talked about it before that it reverberates out into all different aspects of life. And work is affected by human sin. And so God, describing the consequences of sin, the spiritual fracture, God says this. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. And I think this is, this is God's talking here about more than just farming. God's talking about the work of our lives and that uh, our experience of it can often be painful. I think many of us have had pain around work. I mean, even, even for you, the word work itself, I think, almost has slightly negative connotations. Oh, work. And, you know, on kind of the, the low end of the pain might just be boring. Point, it feels pointless. It feels meaningless. And then for other of us, work can be a very, uh, quite a painful thing. If you've ever had a dysfunctional workplace, if you've ever unsupported, if you've ever had things demanded of you that you know you cannot produce, if you've ever been in a workplace where you, you are just not equipped, you don't have the skills needed, you don't have the resources necessary to do it, if you've ever had extended periods of unemployment, work can be painful. And that's bound up with the fact that we're, because our work is imaging of God, it's part of what it means to be human. Yes, when it's painful, it can be very painful. That's why the, the creation of good, meaningful jobs for people is a noble task. But I believe God, God is a worker. God, God is about the creation of work for us. God is also about the redemption of work. I believe God desires the redemption of our experience of work. God cares about our work. He desires the redemption of of our experience of work. So just take a moment and reflect. Think the different areas of work of your life. Where, where do you long for redemption? Where, where does God need to do redeeming uh, in regards to your experience of work? Areas of pain, areas that feel meaningless, Areas of where work has started to own you, you need freedom. Where does he need to do redeeming work? I want to look at a couple hints at how, uh, how God redeems our experience of work. To do this, we're going to flip. This is going to be the last text we look at. Flip way over to the New Testament, uh, way to the right. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians is after Philippians. It's before 1 Thessalonians. 
We're going to look at three, uh, starting in verse 23. There's a lot of different ways we could talk about how God redeems our experience of work. And, uh, but I just want to look at a few hints uh, this morning about how God goes about redeeming it. And I'm particularly about how God redeems work in regards to the, our, our sense of its meaninglessness at times, the mundane aspect of work. And I want to look at how God redeems it in the ways that work can start to own us and twist our character and how God is working uh, to redeem it, uh, both those things. So um, he's writing here uh, to slaves and masters. And uh, there, we could do a whole teaching just on how this is it's quite a subversive text, subverting the institution of slavery. But uh, today we're just going to look at it through the lens of what does it say about work. And I'm going to read here verse 23. First, uh, writing to slaves, it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So God, God cares about your work. God cares about it. God desires to redeem our experience of work. And here we, we hear these words written to the most, I mean, slaves doing the most meaning, the, the most mundane, menial tasks imaginable. Yeah, there were slaves who did education and business, uh, running business and that kind of thing, but a lot of them just did the most, whatever the owners of the house didn't want to do, that's what they did. So cleaning out the toilets and doing the dishes and sweeping this and the kind of the, the mundane, um, some of them were kind of manufacturing kind of the same thing over and over again all day. That whatever they, that's what they were doing, the most meaningful menial uh, tasks you can imagine. This is what they were doing. And, 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 and what w- the words written to them aren't, hey, pretend you're doing it for God. It says, you, it is, you are doing this for Messiah Jesus. It, Paul, I, I think it, we're being called back to that original vision from Genesis that all of our work is under the king, God's reign over this whole world, and we have these kingdoms within God's kingdom. We need to see our work in relationship to the king overall. And that means every task, when done for God, has dignity, has value. There's no meaningless tasks when done for God. He sees all of it. I think if this letter was written today, it might be addressed to to migrant labor, to people on assembly lines making the same thing over and over and over again, to people making minimum wage, to people cleaning house all day. I think the words would be written, you are working for Messiah Jesus. He sees it. Your work has dignity. And I think those words are written to address those who do that work, to remember when your work has dignity, it's done for God. And it's also written to address those who interact with the people doing that, to remind all of them, don't look down on that work. It has dignity and it's done for God. Where, what, it, what, it, what are the unseen tasks in your work? What are those, those, those tasks that you do that just feel mundane and boring and pointless? What are those parts of your work that you feel tempted to devalue? 
And what might God want to say to you this morning about the dignity of that work, the value of that work, when done for Messiah Jesus? How might he want you to see it different? So we have these uh, words written to the slaves. Then uh, Paul turns in this letter and and addresses the masters in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. He writes, Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. He says, he says do, do this role with character, with virtue, with honor, because, don't forget, and again, calling him back to that original idea, God is the king over all. You have a master in heaven. This response, this dominion that you have, it is only under God. And you need to see it that way. God cares about our work and he desires the, the redemption of it. And there's these certain kinds of work, and I think the masters were in this kind of work. There are certain kinds of work that um, the problem isn't that we think it's meaningless. The problem is that it begins to twist our character. It encourages us to make compromises in our character. There's certain kinds of work that encourages us to use people and not to serve them. There's certain kinds of work that, that the work begins to own us, where we begin to think that is the most important thing in our world. Not God. And Paul writes to people in this kind of work, and he says, don't forget that this is only done under King Jesus. Don't forget that. And I think if Paul were writing this today, that he would address those in positions of power, politicians, pastors, police officers, people with great influence, people managing other workers, people in in places where where the the very nature of the work is to, to breed arrogance or to tempt us to use others or to tempt us to believe that this work is the most important thing in our lives and we're reminded no it is only under the kingship of God that is the only proper way to see it we're called to humility and to working reflecting the character of God and to see our work only in relation to he who is the ultimate. So in the, the, God desires the redemption of work. God desires to, to take our, our, the work that feels meaningless and to provide great dignity. And God provides, desires to speak into the work that begins to own us and twist us and to give it perspective and speak humility to us. God desires to redeem. God cares about our work because it reflects his image. And he wants to redeem our experience of work. He wants to redeem your experience of work. What might he be saying to you this morning? Do you have a do you have do you have a part of your work that that uh, that wants to make itself ultimate in your life? Do you have part of your work that that, that wants to twist your character? What God, might be God saying to you about that? Where you're tempted to use others? I wanna 
This last uh, idea I want to talk about, I want to use, I want to share a story um, from a short story by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, and this last idea, I want to talk about hope in regards to our work, because I think that particularly, and maybe this kind of addresses more of the, the side of work where it feels kind of meaningless and pointless at times. But I believe, um, I believe God wants to speak a word of hope in regards to our work this morning. There's a there's a story. Tolkien has a collection of essays and short stories called Tree and Leaf. And in there is a short story called Leaf by Niggle. Anybody read Leaf by Niggle? All right, one. Anybody else? Two. Okay, a couple. Nobody. Oh, there you go. Nobody first service had read it. I was so. Okay, but next week, everyone will have read it, right? That would be fantastic. Yeah. So if you're, uh, if you're, especially if you're a Tolkien fan, Leaf by Niggle, it's in Tree and Leaf. I'd encourage you to check it out. So the story goes like this. Uh, there's this man uh, by the name of, of Niggle, and he's a painter. Not a particularly great painter, but he loves to paint. Um, sometimes he, he kind of gets caught up in perfectionism where, where he's, he really loves, like if he's painting a tree, he focuses on the leaf, but can't, he's a better leaf painter than a tree painter. Um, but, he, but he enjoys it. And well, uh, Niggle, he kind of has this, this vision for his life, or not his life, but this vision for a painting. Um, that this is the paint. This kind of is going to be the work of his life, and the the vision it begins with a single leaf, but then he begins to imagine this whole tree that he desires to paint, and then he it becomes the, the this whole countryside behind it. And so in his barn, he sets up this huge canvas and begins working on it whenever whenever he can. Uh, the different leaves, the tree, the countryside, and it, um, it says that uh, as he was painting it, a country began to open out, and there were glimpses of forest marching over the land. And mountains tipped with snow. And so he's, he's working on this. And at the center is this tree with all these unique leaves in it. And this countryside. But, but he can't, he's working and working and he's not able to get to the end of it. And he, and he deeply, he wants to finish this work. But he can't, he, and there's these distractions in his life. And he's, he's getting pulled away and he wants to go finish what he's working on, but he can't. And the whole time he knows there's this journey coming up. He's going to have to leave soon. And, if, and he desperate, he wants to finish this job before the, it's time to leave. So uh, one of the distractions, he's got this neighbor, Mr. Parrish. And Mr. Parrish uh, has a bad leg. And often Mr. Parrish is saying, hey, Mr. Nagel, I need your help with this thing. And okay, I'll leave my painting and come help you with this. And this is one of the things that's keeping him from his work. Well, um, he's getting, you know, he's, he's working away and he just wants to give some concentrated time to this painting. And right when Mr. Parrish comes in and says that his wife is sick and the doctor needs to be called, but because he's got a bad leg, he can't go with the doctor. Will Mr. Nagel please go get the doctor? Okay, I'll leave my painting and go get it. So he gets on his bike, he, he rides into town and uh, it's raining, it's windy, he tells the doctor, comes back. Well, in the process, Mr. Nagel gets deathly ill. And the time comes, and it's time, this journey that he has known is coming, it's time for him to leave, and he has not yet finished his painting. And he begins weeping, and he says, it's not even finished, but he has to go. Now, of course, the, the journey is a metaphor for his death. And after he leaves, the, the house is sold off, the painting is broken up, and uh, eventually... The painting is used to fix houses and stuff. And all that's left is there's one corner of the painting, one leaf. And it's framed and it's hung in the town museum. Uh, it's hung in a recess and noticed by few eyes. His life work. Well, the story doesn't end there. 
uh, Mr. Niggle, the way the, the, the story goes, he's, he's on this train, um, and he's taking this train to a far country, and eventually comes to the stop where he's supposed to get off, and there's a bicycle there with his name on it. And he gets on the bike, and he starts riding through the countryside on this path, and then there's this green field, and so he turns off, and he's riding through this field. And the curves of the land were familiar somehow. A great green shadow came between him and the sun. Niggle looked up and fell off his bicycle. Before him stood the tree, his tree finished. If you could say that of a tree that was alive, its leaves opening, its branches growing and bending in the wind that Niggle had so often felt or guessed and had so often failed to catch. He gazed at the tree, and slowly he lifted his arms and opened them wide. It's a gift, he said. He was referring to his art and also to the result, but he was using the word quite literally. A gift. I think there's a sense that Tolkien's reaching for here. That when, when we work for Messiah Jesus, when we work under God, when we work expressing the work of God in this world, it continues into eternity. The work that we do under Christ has value, has impact into eternity. Where do you need hope in your work? Do you, feel, do you feel like, like Niggle, that there's this life work, this, this calling on your life, this passion, but the need far outstrips your resources and time? Do you, is there this, this passion, this thing that you felt like you were meant to do, but you've never been able to give it the time and attention because you had to care for these other more pressing things? Do you ever feel like your, your talents for a thing, you're wired to do it, but you're your talents just don't quite meet up with your passions for it. Where do you need hope in regards to your work? See, I think the thing, the thing is, if you have a sense, if you have a sense of your vocation, your calling, you you don't work for a paycheck. That's not what drives you. You work for something bigger than that. You care about creating beauty in this world. You care about people having homes, quality homes. You care about people finding jobs. You care about craftsmanship and building a great. You care about serving people well. Maybe you're, you're in a role where you're seeking justice for people and you just want it to be fair for them, for them to have a chance. And maybe in all these areas of vocation, the sense of the need outstrips your abilities, and it's not going to be done. Maybe, maybe that you're, this passion, you're never going to quite have enough time to pursue that passion. But I think there's this, there's this thing that we have to recognize, that insofar as when we do those things for Christ, when they reflect the character of Christ, we need to recognize that when the age to come arrives those things will be in full and somehow our work in this world will have impact into eternity let's pray uh, father son spirit um
as we come as we come to uh, to partake in communion today, um, we give you the work of our lives, and we do ask uh, that you would speak a, a timely and relevant word to each one of us. Give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. We want to know. Uh, we want to know how you see our work, how we should think about it, how we should see it, what you're doing in our lives through it, how it participates in your work in the world. We don't, God, we don't want there to be this huge chunk of our lives that we don't understand how you relate to it. And so even um, as we come forward uh, and we offer ourselves again to you, we offer our work to you, and as, as we feed on you and we spiritually meet with you, would you spiritually speak to us and feed us in the area of of how you see our work. We trust that you are here, living and active. We pray this all in your good name, Jesus. Amen.